Hello there. Welcome to Smashing the Ceiling, the podcast that showcases the lives of women who've achieved amazing things in their careers, some who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who've just had a really interesting life. I'm your host, Naomi Mella, and each week I'll be sitting down with one woman to hear about the ceilings they've smashed through in their lives. The glass ceiling isn't all about corporate boardrooms, international skyscrapers and towering stilettos. Although don't get me wrong, I love a good high heel. There are women breaking down barriers everywhere, shattering stereotypes and forging their own unique and wonderful career paths. We're here to share their stories with you, to let you know how they got where they are and how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. We're an independent podcast, so if you'd like to support us, please follow, rate and review wherever you listen. Everyone asks you to do this, I know, but it really does make a difference and we'd love it if you could. I think there's a difference between desperately wanting to have ADHD and desperately wanting that to be a explanation for the things that you have struggled with and I really wanted it to be the explanation because I felt like a a medical professional saying here's your piece of paper here's your license to have the the personality that you do the brain that you do you're you're valid you know that meant a lot to me but I think I underestimated how easy it would be to achieve self-acceptance. My guest today is a woman I first met a couple of years ago whilst she was wearing a delicious pair of sequined dungarees and accepting an award at the International Women's Podcast Awards. Her name is Annabelle Buckland and she's a radio host, podcast producer and general audio wizard and she also has ADHD. We've discussed a lot of things on this podcast over the last five years, but the impact of an adult diagnosis of ADHD on your career and working life is one that so far we haven't touched on. So I'm really pleased that we're diving into that today. If you need more information or you're affected by anything you've heard today, I have popped plenty of links in the show notes with information and support, so do check them out if you need. Above all, though, Buckers is hilarious and thoughtful and an amazing interviewee who's had a brilliant career. We talked about her early obsession with dental hygiene, why going to university isn't always the dream choice, and about the progression of women in audio, amongst other things. Enjoy this one. I always loved audio. I always loved audio but you know story tapes I remember going to a brand new school and I went to a brand new primary school and I was delighted when at the end of the day it was story time we went and sat down on the carpet and it was time to start a new book so it was my first day of a new school and they were starting a new book and it was Roald Dahl the twits and I remember (laughs) all of the all of my new classmates looking at me like I was a complete weirdo because I was able to lip sync to the teacher reading out the book because I'd listened to the story tape so many times that I knew exactly what she was going to read and I was kind of like miming along with her because I just felt so much connection to audio it just 
it was a great way for me to learn. I found it really like ignited my creativity. And I, as I got older, realized that I was also kind of listening to radio in quite a different way to my friends as well. And I was really listening to it for the way that people communicating with each other and connecting with each other. So I think it's weird that I didn't really discover that I had a passion for and an, and an ambition for working in radio until much later on in my life. Because when I look back now, the signs are all there. <laughs> mm. And what do you think sparked that kind of passion and enjoyment and interest? Was there something in particular or somebody in your family? Or do you think it was just came out of nowhere? I grew up listening to radio because my grandmother would always have the radio on in the house. BBC Radio 4. <laughs> I listened to a lot of radio or or there was just a lot of radio around me just like most kids really probably grew up with their parents playing radio in the car but I just really I, I really actively listened to it and then when I was about 16 or 17 maybe a little bit maybe like 17 18 um, a new radio station in my area launched it was like nothing I'd ever heard before it had character it had a real personality I loved the presenters and I listened to it religiously. So when they, a few years later and I'd finished university, were advertising for a programming assistant, I was able to get the job based on my back knowledge of their entire broadcasting history. I was just, I was like an encyclopedia for everything that they'd done. And I knew the brand really well. I And I very clearly able to demonstrate how passionate I was. Uh, I didn't have a, the slightest bit of audio production experience whatsoever, but I think I convinced them that I was the right person for the job and that they could teach me everything else. Shortly after leaving university, I, I got that job and that was it then. I was absolutely hooked and I just loved it so, so much. So cool. Well, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But you started your working career in a dental practice <laughs> as a dental nurse and receptionist. How did that happen? And what did you learn from that time about, you know, perhaps yourself or what you didn't want? Because I often say on this podcast, when we talk to people, it's so important to learn what you don't want for your career and your what, and, and in terms of your own skill set as much as what you do want and what you are good at. So what do you think having kind of early career experiences taught you on that one? Well, a lot. I mean, working in a dental practice, I learned, well, firstly, I learned I don't want gum disease. It's <laughs> bloody horrible. <laughs> she does have really good teeth, people, for the benefit of the podcast listeners. She has excellent teeth. Um, I learned that I love connecting with people and and I absolutely loved, ser <laughs> sounds really weird. Um, I loved serving people. I loved making people feel more comfortable. And I learned that I can actually pick up technical skills that I'm really interested in quite easily. Mm -hmm. And if there's science, you know, if there's a lot of technical stuff behind it, a bit of science behind it, it doesn't phase me because I'm interested in it. And I was all geared up for qualifying as a dental nurse and starting a career in dentistry um and I was really passionate about just <laughs> I was just going to finish that sentence with the word teeth 
do it. Well, I really was. I really, <laughs> I really was deep into it. I was deep into the oral hygiene world. And I it's was- It's a rabbit hole, people. I was fully, fully prepared to go all the way. But I think it was my first job after leaving sixth form. I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to get a job. It was the first job that I had. And it was my first experience of entering into the world of work and all of the pressures and anxieties that come with that as a young woman in a small environment with being led by two male dentists. And I very quickly realized that I didn't really want to work for other people. <laughs> um, so yeah, I left I left there and moved to New Zealand for a couple of months. Oh wow. And then I, and then I didn't really like that very much, so I came back. <laughs> and then I went to uni. <laughs> so you said you didn't want to go to university initially. What changed your mind and what was the sort of thinking behind initially not wanting to go? Was it just a passion to enter the world of work or did you not think it was for you and, and what changed you on that? It's not a very inspirational answer on its way, Naomi, because I basically went to university because I I attempted I attempted to live in New Zealand with my dad, who lives over there. And it was just one of those things that didn't work out how I expected. And I came home and I thought, right, what am I gonna do now? And rightly or wrongly, I I felt like university was like a, a good box to tick that would tide me over and get me out of any decision making for the next three years. And the fact that maybe one day I might regret not going seemed like a good enough reason to go. It was not a burning passion of mine to go to university. I love to learn, but I was when I left school, I was so sick of the format and having to create work to prove my skills and keep to deadlines and you know work to somebody else's schedule I hated all of that and I was just really keen to get out and you know find my way um but I think when you know that my first job wasn't it wasn't what I expected it to be and then moving to New Zealand and starting a brand new life in New Zealand wasn't ex what wasn't what I expected it to be I I think I kind of fell back on the idea of going to uni because it felt like oh well I've tried to do this I've tried to that sod it I'm just going to go I'm not going to regret going even if I don't like it but I one day I might want to I might want to have a job that I really need a degree for yeah I think it I, that's incredibly refreshing honesty so thank you because <laughs> I think I think that is not an uncommon experience but we don't really talk about that. You know, it's it's not the kind of done thing to say, yeah, I went to uni because I wasn't really sure what else I was meant to do. And instead people are like, I loved university. I was desperate to go. I was so passionate about studying this, that and the other, which is the case for some people. And and is, and that's amazing. But I think for a lot of people at that age, and again, this is something we, we mention relatively often is like, you have no clue what you want to do in most cases. And and that's all right. And I think it's one thing we don't emphasize enough to young people is that actually the decisions you make at 18 are rarely, rarely impactful on the entire rest of your career because you can always change. And and actually that's a, I think it's a really good thing to say. So thank you because it, most people, I think people are not always honest about 
that. So, um, and while you're at uni, you started working on kids camps, which then sort of shaped the early part of your career prior to your stratospheric rise in radio and audio. How did you land into that? And again, what did you take away from those? Because having worked on kids summer camps myself, I can fully relate to some of the experiences that you might have had. And I know you took quite a lot of responsibility for children, which again, at a young age is, is, is a quite a big thing to do that I think is actually underestimated by a lot of people. Looking back now, I can see that that's probably where my love of working with people in a really individualized way comes from. And so I really liked doing the one-to-one work because then I could think, right, what does this child need? How can I facilitate that? How can I listen to them? How can I, how can I give them the best experience of this fun day out that they, they should be having? And when I kind of look at the way I work with my clients now, I like to... I like to really get to know them and work out what what's going to be most enjoyable for them and what's going to make the process as easy and and fun for them. So yeah, I th- I think that's kind of where that side of my my personality and the way I like to work started to kind of flourish in in that environment. Mm. I can imagine you being a camp leader because you've just got so much enthusiasm and fun about you that I can imagine the kids absolutely loved you because it's just that time of, it's such a tough job that like keeping children entertained and motivated and interested, especially in larger groups is so hard. One of my uh, camp managers, she said, the thing with Annabelle is you hear her before you see her. <laughs> and I think that probably sums up my role with that company and pot- potentially my life. <laughs> but it's funny when you say, actually, you prefer working with people on a on a one-to-one basis and having that kind of individual relationship. Because I think the more I meet people and understand about sort of personality types and things like that, people who appear extroverted from the outside and I think you and I are quite similar in that is that people sort of see you as really bubbly and outgoing and chatty and blah blah but actually f- sometimes find it much easier to create bonds with people on a very personal yes. individual level yeah. and actually I'm not putting words into your mouth but I find groups much more difficult mm. than one-to-ones and and actually having that time professionally where you're helping somebody in the kind of detail of their own mm. situation I find more rewarding despite being somebody who absolutely loves meeting new people and yakking away for hours you know yeah absolutely I I love I love kind of the freedom that working with one person gives you because you you are just free to focus on on that one person and and make sure that the the experience you're giving them is completely tailored to them and I think maybe it's the people pleaser in me but that gives me such satisfaction yeah yeah do you uh, do you consider yourself to be quite a strong people pleaser very much we're working on it (laughs) it's an ongoing process (laughs) oh my god it's a lifelong thing um so I wanted to talk to you about um getting into radio so you mentioned before about it was Jack FM that started up in the Oxfordshire region where Annabelle is from you used the words the radio station had character and personality. I really interested what you mean by that because I think people who listen to the radio in a more 
uh, normal slash usual fashion, perhaps, than someone who's really into audio, for example, might say, well, what the heck does that mean? You know, how do you define a radio station as having character and personality versus, say, listening to the BBC or another established commercial radio? What was it about Jack that really kind of captured your imagination and made you want to work there? It was the sense of carefreeness and silliness and playfulness that really, really captured me. And the way that it, the way that it portrayed those qualities was through the, uh, the station voice, um, the little, the funny little lines in between the songs, all of the production, all of the imaging on that radio station was geared to entertain you and surprise you and make your ears prick up and think, are you allowed to say that? Or, um, you know, make, make it feel relatable, but in a quite obscure way. And I really, really, I really loved that. And then the, the breakfast show as well. I remember just really enjoying the relationship between the two presenters and in particular the the lady that was pres- the, the lady that co-presented the show her name's Caroline Verdon I used to imagine myself being friends with her <laughs> I I listened to her and just felt like I know this person and a few years later I I'm doing a podcast with her <laughs> It's bizarre. I think that's one of the things that's so unique about radio, isn't it? Is the the personal nature of it. And I know Greg James from Radio 1 always says this, is that when you have the opportunity to be particularly a breakfast show host, you're in people's kitchens, you're a part of the morning routine, you're the background to the day-to-day of everybody's lives. And some radio hosts I think that that personal nature of feeling like you're friends with people and Sarah Cox is one of my favorite radio DJs of all time me too (laughs) she is somebody who you can just imagine being friends with because she's so personable so warm Caroline is the same and that's so it's one of those skills that I think good radio hosts make it sound easy but it's actually incredibly difficult to do and it's a huge privilege as well to have that role in people's lives. I never underestimated that. And I look back on my time in radio with just so much, so much happiness and gratitude because that was such a, and it sounds cheesy, but it, it was such an honor to, to play such a role in the lives of people I will never meet, people I'll never know. But they were listening to us and we were part of their lives, especially during the pandemic, because um, I, I progressed within the the radio station and um, in 2019, yeah, end of 2019, myself and my colleague launched a breakfast show on one of the stations, one of, one of the stations, other stations. Um, so there were, there were multiple stations within the same organization and one of them, didn't yet have a breakfast show and then we made one and we grew it from nothing and we when the pandemic hit we took the station to my home and broadcast from my living room every morning to 
a bunch of listeners who were going through something that none of us had ever gone through before and we were kind of doing it together and that was such a special and fun and weird time and such a unique experience as well so tell me about the the kind of background to that because I think people's image of a radio station is when you walk in and there's this massive bank of uh buttons dials faders switches you know and they people talk about driving the desk and learning all of that did they teach you that on the job because you had no background in sort of sound engineering and studios and all that did you just get that right from the beginning or how did you learn essentially to then run a breakfast show from your living room there was no no formal structure to any of that training it was a case of seeing somebody else doing something and pushing your way in front of them and saying can you show me that please can I do that can I touch that button what's that fade to do <laughs> there was no kind of right tomorrow we're going to learn how to press record it was just you've got to get in there and you've got to in, in such a small station everybody does a bit of everything and so unless you actively push yourself into the learner's seat somebody else is just going to do it and so so yeah it was a case of learning on the job uh, especially audio editing I mean that was that was like I had zero experience in that I didn't even know what I was aiming for let alone how to do it but my god you learn quickly <laughs> You learn so quickly when you are forced to do it and you've just got somebody leaning over your shoulder and just going, oh, you just click, click that bit there, click that bit there and there. Yeah, there, there you go, you've done it. You've got to like, you know that that person has got another piece of work that needs to be done in the next 10 minutes. So you just, you know, concentrate and, and pick it up. I remember like my first couple of weeks working there, I'd get to the end of the day and come home. I couldn't even string a sentence together. It's like my brain was so drained from all of the learning it was it was doing I never experienced anything like it <laughs> mm. it's amazing though because I know I know I've listened to um, Annie Nightingale before who obviously is sort of a doyen of radio and a really early female in the radio industry talking about the days when women were never allowed to drive the desk and they were never allowed to be in control of any of the tech and and that it became a real a badge of honor for women in audio organizations to actually run their own show essentially and not be the voice behind the microphone while someone else did that for them because I think and I think that's a real change and you've obviously created that opportunity for yourself but to be given that opportunity within a small radio station to learn those skills is absolutely amazing yeah you're absolutely right and um there were lots of things that I got to do and lots of things that I learned that yeah women in broadcasting all those years ago didn't have the opportunity to do however I actually didn't run the desk <laughs> during the shows it was my co-host I could have done it I definitely could have done it it's just it it was that kind of environment where you still I still personally felt like I needed to kind of work that bit harder to get the same level of recognition, opportunity, um, even just to be heard, and that was that was really hard. That could, because that that was definitely something that sapped a bit of my confidence. 
and you know whether what I'm saying is interesting enough or whether my ideas are good enough which I I I didn't feel was an insecurity that some of my other colleagues had the, the programming team was very male dominated and that was probably like the the trickiest thing to navigate because I just wanted to get on and be creative and and make make great radio and make great audio content and it was kind of frustrating to have that underlying awareness all the time that historically women in radio have had a a tougher time to feel like they have they deserve their place and their voice so well put so well put um but it's people like you and you know we're moving into an era where women broadcasters are not just accepted but expected and you know there's so many amazing women djs out there and i think that is as it should be because we their voices deserve to be heard they should be on the radio obviously they should be on podcasts because we love podcasts and you know there's a place for everybody but i think times have changed but 10 years ago when you were breaking into audio I do think things were different then than they are even now. And and it's really interesting to look back at how even in the really quite recent times, there's been a, a kind of tidal change in, in all sorts of industries and, and radio amongst them. Um, and you worked in radio with Tracy Cox, who is one of my favorite writers. Uh, for people who are not aware, she is a sex and relationships expert. She talks about uh, lots of stuff that others might consider taboo. She has no boundaries on what she writes about and talks about in the best possible way. Um, Tracy has been for many years really uh, tackling a lot of subjects that really need to be talked about. And Annabelle, you had your radio show with her. What was it like to work with her? And I know you discussed some quite kind of out there things, sexual fantasy, porn, all the rest of it. What was that like? And and um, what was she like to work with? Because I know she's quite a big character, isn't she? She was an absolute dream to work with. I absolutely adore that woman. She is so much fun. And I mean, she's really fun, but she's really professional. Like she, she really, she really cares about the quality of the work that she puts out. And so we we worked quite hard to make sure that that show was um, like true to her. And and as you just said, she she talks about everything. And we wanted to find a way to talk about everything on a radio show in the middle of the day. <laughs> so um, yeah, she was super fun. And there were lots of hilarious moments. I mean, I... I don't know. I actually don't know how I managed to make it through some of the texts that we had to read out without, you know, without really, really losing the plot. Because, I mean, I I didn't even know what pegging was, Naomi. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that was a thing. And I didn't expect that word to mean that. Have and you got I... Urban Dictionary bookmarks these days? <laughs> I had to kind of like, before I would put my fader up to, um, to read out the text, I would have to kind of like pull, like pull my face down like that. And like, almost like drum it into me that you cannot laugh. And then my fader would go up and be like, 
Michael from Cambridge would like to know about pegging. <laughs> and then she'd be like, well, well, Michael, <laughs> this is what I have to say about. Yeah, but she was, she was a really, really, really lovely to work with. And I, it was a, it was a great experience for me to... Was it a sexual education? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Tracy's obviously been uh, writing and broadcasting about sex for quite a long time. So she's very experienced. How did you feel coming in to be part of a show that was covering those sorts of topics when that wasn't necessarily your comfort zone? Are you someone who's quite open to talking about that sort of no, stuff? No, I absolutely loved it. I I love doing stuff like that. I love, I love doing stuff that pushes buttons. Boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I was absolutely buzzing for it. And pushing the button and buzzing is all a bit vibrator chat, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> she's, tinging, she's bringing the vibe to the boat. Yes, she is. <laughs> Got some great freebies from Tracy as well, just saying. <laughs> Excellent. Perhaps we'll leave that conversation for another time. Um, but that's really cool. And so having worked in radio for a few years, you took the big plunge of starting your own business and you are now a solo business owner which is a big step and we love entrepreneurial women on this podcast and I speak to a lot of women who've started their own businesses but I having done it myself I know what a big move it is to jump away from a paycheck and security and launch yourself into freelance creative life it's not easy what prompted you to want to do that and to take that risk I guess away from employment so the pandemic popped along to the party and it just? <laughs> and I was furloughed and then I was made redundant and then I just thought bloody hell what am I going to do I was I was it floored me absolutely floored me and it was I think it was just a case of do it now or just do it never I'd always kind of wondered what it might be like to to go solo but because of how much I loved my job and I loved what I was doing it, it almost was never even some it never went any further than than that my job had become so intertwined in my like my sense of identity really I it kind of became who I was I didn't really know who I was without that part of my life so there's a pandemic going on and then I realize oh I don't really know who I am without this job what do I do so I moved in with my grandmother because I didn't know I didn't know when I would next have a job and yeah I think it was like two weeks after my last official day of employment employment that I just went, oh, sod it. I'm going to make an Instagram account. So I thought, I'll just I'll just see if there's anybody who's doing a podcast that maybe needs a bit of help with their editing. And then by the end of that day, I thought, no, I'm not just going <laughs> to, I'm not just going to offer to give people a hand with their editing. I can be a podcast producer. I know how to produce audio and know how to plan content I know what's engaging I know how to I know how to do it and podcasts are huge right now they're not going anywhere so I thought no I'm gonna I'm gonna for now close the book on radio and start something new 
And I think it was like a week later, I had my first client. And then by the end of the first month, I had two clients. And then it just kind of snowballed from there, really. I had no idea how to run a business at all. (laughs) And just going back a little bit, how did being made redundant come as a bolt from the blue? And how did that experience affect you? Because I think, again, that's something that is not really talked about, but is a profound experience for people that go through it when it happens and I think there's often a bit of shame around redundancy because it makes you or it can make certain people feel that their job that they weren't good enough or that their job wasn't important enough and I was just wondering what that experience was like because I imagine in the middle of the pandemic it was a fairly big upheaval yeah I felt all those things it was it was utter grief it really was it And there was a lot of shame around it. I felt, it's a bit like being dumped by someone you really love. And you just feel, I just felt really disposable. And it hurt even more, I think, because of how much of myself I gave to that role and to that organization and the friends that I had. And the relationship I had with listeners and the sense of connection to the outside world that that job brought me. I mean, it really was everything. It was such a transformative time in my life from the, from the, the day I joined the company to when I left, I'd gone through so many, so much growth and it just felt like, yeah, it really, it really did feel like, like someone had died and that was yeah it was it was really it was really horrible and um the only the only way I can describe it is it is like a grief and for anyone who's been in that position you have to give yourself so much compassion and understanding for for how that makes you feel because I I was feeling like oh I shouldn't be feeling like this it's you know it's, it's just a job and I'll I'll you know I should I should be I should be tougher why? I mean, that that was such a huge part of my life. And it has been taken, not only had it been taken away from me, but I'd been pushed away. And you then start comparing yourself to other people and like, what, why, why was it me? There must be a reason it was me. Was it this? Was it that? And for an overthinky person like me, <laughs> and when you've not got a lot else to do during the pandemic, you have a lot of time to kind of pick that experience apart and and question what you could have done differently and I just I just felt like I don't want to go through that again so if I hire me I can't fire me yeah no 100% (laughs) and it sounds like you you know from setting up Decibel having two clients by the end of your first month is very impressive for production you know that because it's actually not that easy when you're in the first instance to actually get people to sign up as clients to sign on the dotted line to generate recurring revenue to actually have money coming into your business that means that you can live 
you know, I know that you were living with your granny, but even so, you know, you still got to live day to day. How did you go about finding those clients in the first instance and actually building from the ground up? Because I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to start my new business. Doors are open. Great. Now what? Hello, give me money. <laughs> Where are my clients coming from? <laughs> yeah. It, again, not a very inspira- inspirational answer, but I just put a call out on social media to anybody who knows anybody who's thinking of starting a podcast and someone got back to me and said um yeah I've got a friend they are they're they're doing a blog but the interviews that they're doing on their blog would work really well as a podcast I think it's something that they've been thinking of do you want me to put you in touch and um yeah that's that's what we did and I I loved that client and I had a really amazing experience um supporting them to to bring that podcast to life and will always be grateful to them the podcast was called tales to inspire and it was um a great podcast to start a to start my self-employment journey with because they were really inspiring stories that I was listening to and I was just thinking wow this is great I get to listen to this amazing stuff and this is my work you know it was a real kind of like epiphany moment I've just created a really awesome job for myself (laughs) (laughs) awesome and so Decibel is now up and running working really well you've got tons of clients your podcasts are amazing Uh, winner of the inaugural International Women's Podcast Award one of Annabelle's podcasts which she accepted in a sequined jumpsuit which I was secretly coveting it's amazing and yeah so what I was going to touch on just finally which is a big subject in itself was you've relatively recently had a diagnosis of ADHD which I know you've spoken about quite a lot on social media as part of your work and obviously with your personal life and kind of living in general how did that diagnosis come about and was this something you'd always suspected or why did you go to get tested and and diagnosed what was the catalyst for that I think the catalyst for that diagnosis was starting a business Huh, okay. And I think the, the, I think what, I think the magnifying glass for it was lockdown. So I, I started the business in August, 2020. And by Christmas, I was definitely getting stressed. (laughs) And it was the beginning of 2021 and things started to feel very dark. And I've always been, I've always been an anxious person. I've always been an overthinker. I've always had a very busy brain, but it was starting to feel very overwhelming. And like my restlessness that has kind of always been there was starting to feel like unbearable. Little things that I'd always noticed about myself that I just thought were you know, character traits, I was starting to notice that they had become amplified. And in the conversations I was having with friends, nobody was really kind of, I wasn't relating to people's experiences in the same way. So people were sort of saying, oh, I can't wait to go out to restaurants, can't wait to go to the pub, oh, I can't wait to you know, do things after the pandemic. And I just, I felt like I wanted to peel off my own skin from restlessness. And 
I just wanted to go anywhere and do anything that was different. And I was buying things online and getting obsessive about researching random things. It's almost, it's like I, my brain was just pushing me down any avenue it could to lead me to something new and exciting. Um, and then on top of that, the anxiety of this new job that I'd given myself and the pressure and and then not being able to have any kind of escape and any kind of creative release of my own because I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't do anything just like everybody else was experiencing. Um, I was really finding that really oppressive and it, I just was reading something on Instagram or something one day that mentioned ADHD in women presenting quite differently to what the the stereotypical understanding of ADHD is and I didn't really think anything of it and I was kind of like swiping through the post and the more I read the more I was going huh I do that huh oh I feel that oh my god I do that and then I was like hang on a minute no I surely couldn't have ADHD because I'm 31 <laughs> I won't that, I, that they would have recognized it in school surely and then the next post I read was something like why ADHD in girls isn't picked up in school and why more <laughs> women are being diagnosed later in life and I was like oh okay and then suddenly it's 3 a.m and I've googled to the point of my eyeballs drying out and I know and I've read blogs and I've you know, subscribed to ADHD newsletters. And the more I read, the more I'm starting to think, okay, this this might actually be a thing. And then I go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards with it, with the imposter syndrome of no, it's probably not ADHD. I'm probably just lazy or I'm probably just really disorganized. Um, but it it became enough of a thing in my mind that I just had to, I just had to know. And I got diagnosed like three months later the lady who was telling me my results said, yeah, you're, you're full on, you're full on ADHD love. <laughs> In case you were wondering, the exact causes of ADHD are unclear at the moment, but it's acknowledged to have a high heritability rate and scientists have linked genetic factors with the development of the condition. There's also studies going on currently looking at the link between brain injury, head trauma and ADHD, and premature birth or low birth weight also seems to be a factor. The honest answer is, it's complex, it's multifactorial, and it's likely a mixture of genetic and environmental components. So having had that diagnosis, how did that help you? How did that manifest into treatment or changes in management, etc.? How did you, I guess, change your life having had a diagnosis of ADHD? What did that mean for you? It meant a lot because in the process of researching it and then running up to having the uh, assessment, I was just so desperate for them to tell me that that is the explanation for the struggles that you've experienced. I think there's a difference between desperately wanting to have ADHD and desperately wanting that to be a explanation for the things that you have struggled with. And 
I really wanted it to be the explanation because I felt like a a medical professional saying, here's your piece of paper, here's your license to have the the personality that you do, the brain that you do, you're, you're valid, you know, that, that meant a lot to me. Um, and I, but I think I underestimated how easy it would be to achieve self-acceptance in the wake of a diagnosis. I think I thought, oh, I just, I really hope she says that that's what it is because then I can finally relax. I can finally like stop beating myself up for being late all the time, forgetting things all the time. It's like I can finally own the things that people get annoyed at me for. (laughs) I can finally just have something to shove in their face (laughs) when they get annoyed that I'm 10 minutes late to something. And that'll be all I need. That'll be all I need to give myself the permission to be the person that I've been for my entire life. And of course it doesn't happen like that. Well, I I personally had days where I felt like full of the joys of self-acceptance. This is who I am. You know, like wrapping a feather boa around my ADHD identity and, you know. Loving it. Lo- yeah. yeah, take yeah. me yeah. or leave me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other days where just something disastrous happens purely as a result of your lack of organizational skills, your lack of executive function skills, and you just feel like, oh, this will never go away. That will, this, I will always be between disasters. And, you know, that sounds like quite dramatic and dark, but that's how it feels sometimes. But then a few days later, you'll have an experience that is so because of your ADHD that is good like a great idea or a great conversation or um you know you discover a new hobby from going down a youtube rabbit hole or something and you just know oh i wouldn't have had this experience had i not had the type of brain that i have i'm always going to be between genius adhd moments you know it's like there's it's like the pendulum swing for me and i think that over the last year and a half since I was diagnosed, the pendulum swing is perhaps not quite as volatile. You know, it's still an ongoing journey, but I'm I'm a bit more okay with just like leaning into some days it'll feel a bit crap and some days it'll feel great and that's fine. I was just going to ask you about some of those positive aspects of ADHD and how you can harness those in your career, in your business? Because you sort of touched on the genius moments, but what are those positive things that come out from from ADHD being part of your brain, part of your personality, part of your life? What are the good things that you have been able to say, oh yeah, that's my ADHD and that's awesome? Yeah, great. that's such a great question. You definitely can harness your your positive ADHD traits. It's, it's a bit like putting a harness on a... <laughs> on a bucking bronco but (laughs) (laughs) I actually really like the way that having a diagnosis has helped me to reframe some of the things that have kind of always been used as a bit of a stick to beat you with like being oversensitive 
oh, you're oversensitive. I've heard that all of my life. And now I completely reject that. And I'm just sensitive. I'm not oversensitive. There is no, you know, there's no scale of sensitivity. And, you know, you get to a point where you've tipped over and you are now oversensitive, like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I'm sensitive. And that makes me a really good friend. It makes me a really thoughtful person. It makes me really analytical person. And sometimes those, those traits can pop up in a place that adds to your anxiety or they can pop up in a place that actually enriches your life. So if you can take your analytical skills and remove them from overanalyzing a situation where you think you did something wrong and, oh, does that person hate me? And did I make myself look stupid? And you can apply them to problem solving a, a solution for a, a client or, um, you know, something non-work related. And um, that's great. And there's so many, there's so many instances of that that I am now able to recognize in my life. I'm, I'm really impulsive. Sometimes that's terrible. <laughs> But sometimes it's great because it leads to really fun days out or, um, you know, really cool conversations. Sometimes I just get an idea in my head and I just act on it immediately without, it's like being on autopilot and it leads to something, something great. Amazing. I can be creative, not all the time, but I'm learning now that when I'm in a creative mood, jump on that bus and go with it because you don't know when your next going to be there but the places that you can go with it are kind of endless when you're in that flow and I suppose that's the kind of that's one of the the biggest things I've noticed for me with ADHD is you can't you can't switch it on you can hyper focus and you can work intensely on something for hours without coming up for air and obviously it's not sustainable to work like that all the time but when you can tap into that it's great you just can't choose when to when to have it you can't just look at your schedule and go oh, I've got so much work to do on Thursday I will I'll put a note in my diary to switch on the hyper focus you can't do it it comes at random times it's bloody annoying but you you just have to I'm, I'm getting better at leaning into that and trying to be less judgy to myself on the days where it doesn't come <laughs> good on you I think that is a perfect place to finish be do, do not be judgy to yourself on the days when it doesn't come I need to learn that myself um thank you so much Annabelle um there'll be links in the show notes for all of Buckers's websites socials where you can find her where you can connect with her she is one of the friendliest warmest people you will ever meet in your life and I know she loves meeting new people as much as I do so do reach out if you want to chat to her um and thank you so much for coming on thank you Naomi I'm I'm so over the moon to be on this podcast I love I love what you do and yeah I'm just really I feel feel very smug to have been invited quite frankly so thank you <laughs> you're very welcome and it's a sunny day in London that we are off to enjoy so we'll see you all next time that's all for this week. You'll find all the links you need to everything we've discussed in this episode in the show notes that will be sitting right there in front of you on whatever podcast app you use. So do just have a look in there if you want more info or have a sneaky peek at the socials. If you've enjoyed this episode, please just share it wherever you can on your own social media. And if you found the podcast interesting or useful, then please do tell a friend. We're always keen for new listeners. 
If you can find it in your heart to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or give us a shout out on your socials, then I would love you very much as it helps others to find us. See you next time.